take, uh, took off of the Ten Commandments. And I know um, it is a different way of looking at the Ten Commandments and that obviously some people look at them as the Ten Suggestions and they are not really, they don't view them as commandments, but here at Christian uh, Apostolic Church, we are growing apostolic legacy and um, we don't look at them as just suggestions. We believe that they are the commandments of the Lord. And I am sorry, they're not, uh, they're not optional. Uh, they are uh, actually reiterated in the New Testament. And we have a society that struggles with not only these commandments, but there are people that have struggles every day. And I know most folks, uh, when you talk about your struggles, my struggles are uh, COVID, or my struggles are not having enough money, or my struggles are uh, <clears throat> with the family, or my struggles are I need a new job. And they look at something that is very uh, close to them as being their struggle. My main struggle, if I only had a new car, my, my worries would be over. And then you go to the fill it up and you go, oh my, my worries are just beginning. If I only had, a, you know, whatever it is, if I only had a, a different, and you can fill in the blank, uh, husband, wife, children, uh, home, whatever you want to put in there, job, and my problems would be over. And yet our struggles go much deeper than that. And oftentimes individuals uh, really don't recognize that most of our struggles are really centered around the Ten Commandments. Last, not last Sunday, but Sunday before last, I talked about the first struggle. The struggle with, is there a God? Do I have a God in my life? Or am I my own God? Am I the one that I answer to? Am I the one that I, you know, listen to? That it's, well, if it fits what I want versus what does the Lord want? And that whole sense of, you know what? I, there will be no other God before me. And I talked about how powerful and how poignant, you know, the Bible even goes in to say, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, because it's easy to say, he is my Lord, but it's another thing to obey him. It's another thing to follow him. And it's another thing to worship him and serve him. And that's really what the next commandment is all about, is our struggle with worship. Because we are always prone to worship something, whether it's a football team or whether it's a basketball team or a, a university program or we worship our job or we worship our intellect or we worship we worship something and we put it in a box and I showed you the, the pictures that Michelangelo, one artist, did uh, what was a, a sculpture called the Pieta and then the other one is creation on the Sistine Chapel. Two very different pictures of God. What God was saying after he had said to Moses actually in the wilderness was I am fill in the blank. 
You can't put God in a box and you can't just say, well, this is the only way he is. And so that whole struggle with who and how and what we worship becomes part of our everyday life because what we worship is what we will spend our time and money and energy You can say, well, I don't worship my house, but I, you know, I make sure it's painted and I scrape it and I... On and on. That's wonderful. I'm not saying it's bad, but then I have no time for God. At some point, what we worship and how we worship it is shown in what we buy. And, you know... When, uh, when they all of a sudden uh, the football team wins or the basketball team wins, well then all of the manufacturers start giving away clothes to hundreds of people. Right? Thousands and thousands of folks. No! It's a marketing ploy. Oh man, I've got to get the jersey with a you know, national championship on it or final four or whatever it is because that's my team and we made it and whoo, hallelujah. But I don't worship it, pastor. Well, in a sense, it can become idolatrous. But anyway, we talked about that last Sunday. I don't want to go into it again. I, I know everybody was here worshiping the Lord. And then number three was about, you know, taking the name of the Lord in vain. And, and we touched on that last Sunday night. My, one of my struggles is with my mouth. And I'm sure you all don't have that struggle. Amen. That blessing and cursing come out of the same source. I mean, if I open the spigot and my mouth shoots out all kinds of terrible things, I would hope that at some point when I open the spigot, sweet water would come out. And it's hard to, you know, uh, reconcile. You know, you've just received a royal cursing and then they go, oh, by the way, I love you. Hard for us to handle that, huh? Well, that's why we have to be careful about what we say and we struggle with that. And I understand there were words that <clears throat> I grew up with that you weren't even, uh, you know, supposed to say. And I, I, I know uh, when my uh, nieces were little, uh, their family was trying to teach them words and we had one that just loved to uh, tell what words they couldn't say and would say it four or five times while telling you what they couldn't say. <laughs> Uncle Keith, I just found out that you can't say stupid and I, you should not say stupid. I should say I don't ever say stupid. I've heard other children say stupid, but I tell you, I'm not going to say stupid because there are, it's just in us <laughs> when we know we shouldn't. Yes. Huh? Yes. Then 
our mouth. Anyway, that was last Sunday, or two Sunday nights ago, and so I know you all have all conquered all of those struggles by now. And now we're going to struggle with the fourth commandment, is uh, the longest commandment in the Ten Commandments. It's got some more verses. It's actually got three verses, eight, nine, and ten. It reads in the King James, Remember thy Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor, do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all them that all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That fourth struggle is with time. It's the first thing that the Lord made holy. And we probably all struggle with time as much as anything because we just, uh, of who we are, and you know, there are those that love this commandment because they say, I need a day off, and their boss gives them a day off, and that's wonderful. Then, of course, we have two days off. And Brother David mentioned rest this morning. And uh, so we have uh, a lot of times Saturday and Sunday. And then companies are going to a four-day work week. And uh, so that I have more time because everybody needs more time. And yet, I understand the Lord said he worked six days. And I know the, uh, the, uh, the saying that a woman's work is what? Oh, listen to it. You all knew it. <clears throat> and yet, you know, most men would say the very same thing. You know, a man's work is never done, especially if he's got involved with children or his home or his family or whatever. It's busy, busy, busy. And of course, you know, I know that um, clothes washing used to be a bigger deal than it is now. It's still a big deal, but when you had to get out the scrub board or the ringer washer and you had to get the wash tub, and I know that's Greek to many young folks today, but it was a huge deal, and I get it, and cooking a meal used to be a bigger time consuming. Now we have a microwave, and I, you know, whip up an egg, put it in for 40 seconds, and uh, uh, check it, and then uh, add a little cheese, and put it in for another 40 seconds, and I'm ready to go. So in a, a minute and, uh, you know, a few seconds, I'm ready to eat, and I, I'm, I'm in a hurry. I, you know, by, I put it in, and then I put the toast in, and boom, boom, boom. And if I go by McDonald's or I drive through, and anybody know what I'm talking about? And our lives are rushed and our lives are... And work is not wrong and work is not evil. And I know, you know, you say, well, I just want to sit and do nothing. 
And yet God even said in this that six days he worked and the seventh he rested. Was it that he was exhausted? No. But there was that important understanding that I have to have a time for relationship with Almighty God. That's why he made it holy. You want to talk about holiness, it was time. And I know you may say, well, I'll give God a two hours a week or I'll give him, I will give him. And wait a minute. <laughs> he deserves more than that. Amen. He deserves more of our time. He deserves more of our attention. He deserves more. And I, I understand. And one of the things uh, uh, many individuals as uh, the television became more prevalent years ago, one of the psychological things that began to hit the airwaves was that you have to limit the amount of time. And there were special, you know, there were numerous uh, psychologists that said, we're not having them in our home because they steal our time. And I understand, very easy to do. You can, you know, we can all sit and watch a video for an hour and a half and we didn't talk and we didn't play games and we didn't interact. And, you know, that's easy, you know, and it's uh, here, you know, give the kids an iPad or an iPod. I'm not, I, I bought my own grandchildren an iPad uh, the other day and I, I'm not against those things, but Parents, you've got to make sure you learn how to limit those. Limit them in your own life and limit them in their lives. Because it will eat your time. Do I have time? And that's why one of the programs that we have going now as far as, you know, is that you can, parents, you can uh, have a Bible song and a program and do, and I hope some of you are doing that with your children and learning the verse and studying and why we do the TED Talk and we have the lesson is so that you will have the sheet and you'll be able to talk about it this week with your family and your children and, and you'll be able to say because that's what they're studying in Sunday school and in Wednesday night and what are we doing is trying to give you you know uh, keys and things that you can use to okay now we're going to learn this now we're going to get involved in this now this is going to be part of our lesson and yet sheets are left all around the church and I understand an accident, accident it happens Bibles have dust on them? Huh? Why? I just don't have time. I've, I've got so busy. And yet, what's so vital is that you set some strong boundaries. It's a struggle, I know. It is a constant struggle. Where do I carve time? And you can't do it once and it's over, but you've got to constantly be aware. I need to set aside time for our family, set aside time for my marriage, set aside time for my home, set aside time for God. And if I don't start that habit now, before long, something spins out of control and I wonder, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. 
What happened? What went on? And I, I realize it, it is a, I, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, don't tell me, okay, well, pastor, you've got it all whipped and you know how to budget your time perfectly. No, it's a constant, it is a constant battle. How do I carve out time? How do I carve out time? And you say, well, I don't want to do that. That's why the fourth commandment, the Lord said, remember the Sabbath day and make it holy. Set something apart as being holy unto the Lord. At least one day a week. And so when you can do that, then you can set apart, and I understand, as Brother David Post said this morning, about rest. And you know, Sunday's not really a day of rest, so we rest on Saturday. And yet, the Orthodox Jews have these strict you know, regulations about, I, I don't even turn a light on or off, or I don't turn the oven on or off, or I don't, I don't cook, I don't do anything. I just take time to be with the family. I just take time to be uh, in church. I just take time, and yet, I know church can be, you know, overwhelming. And especially if you're speaking or you're teaching Sunday school or opening the door or making sure the lights are on, it can be, it can feel like a job. But I'm here to tell you at some point, you've got to realize I need to be in the presence of Almighty God. I've got to set aside some time to Sabbath. And I know... (coughs) Isaiah said it like this, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, saying, this is the rest wherewith to cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. What are you saying? You want to know one of the main reasons you need to let the Holy Ghost flow through you once a week? Raise your hands until you're letting the Holy Ghost flow through you in a heavenly language, worshiping, is because it is a rest. It rests your mind. All of a sudden, the Bible even says when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Ghost will pray through you. When you don't know what to say, the Holy Ghost will speak through you. You say, well, I don't know if I need it. Your brain needs it. And I know they've done the studies and they did one in University of Pennsylvania. There was a a young lady there from, I think it was Nigeria, from uh, Africa that worked in the the psychology department. And you you can look it up, Google it. The study where they, they found out they were trying to see if you meditate, if you chant, if you whatever, you know, what happens to the brain brain waves and and if they go into a state of rest and the activity goes down and and she happened to be she was not involved in the study she was one of the secretaries there but she was a apostolic tongue-talking filled young lady and she said well you know what I wonder what happens when you're talking in tongues and they said we don't even know what you're talking about and she said well let me let me hook me up and she began to worship and praise and magnify God And she began to let the Holy Ghost flow and the Holy Ghost began to speak through her. And all of a sudden, they go, wow, your brain shut down more than even people that are doing how to deep meditate. What are you talking about? The Spirit was bringing rest to their mind and their heart. That's why he said with stammering lips 
And I know you've heard that story and you've read that report. Uh, Several years ago, I I put it up. Then Matthew, the 11th chapter, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Living for God is the easiest thing you'll ever do. And I know people say, if you live for God hard, it's easy. If you live for God, try to make it easy, it's hard. And I realize, you know, you may feel like I don't have time to be in church and I don't have time to be in the house and I don't have, let me tell you, you don't have time not to be in church. You will be overwhelmed. He said, labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, I know. I know it's hard to find time, but that's why when we come to the house of the Lord, I, I'm here to tell you that's why, you know, we, we worship, we sing, is that for a moment you can leave everything else behind. You can not worry about anything else and just sit and soak up the presence of Almighty God. It does your mind good. It does your heart good. It does your emotions good just to simply rest in his spirit it's a hard struggle I I get it I I understand the first four commandments are about God and where we're putting him and our love for him and how that is important the next six commandments deal with everybody else because if you're not connected to God it's hard to deal with everybody else like God would want you to. You know, it's kind of like going to the ATM and trying to draw out money that you don't have in the account. If you don't have God as the source that's filling you up with his love and his kindness and his spirit, then guess what? When it comes time to deal with somebody else, watch out. Because you can't do it without having lots of resources. Understand? Just can't keep going to the ATM and saying, okay, he's made me mad. Punch $100 here. $100 here. When the money runs out, Now you're mad. You understand? And so that's why the first four are so vital. And the fifth one is the first commandment that has promise attached to it. And I I will do this one and may may not even get through with this one. I know we have to baptize these four young folks. I appreciate them being here, but The fifth biggest struggle that I have in my life is the struggle with authority. Somebody telling me what to do. I don't like it. I don't like it if I'm driving down the road and they say, you know, move over. I don't like it. 
I'm just being honest. Somebody telling me. And, you know, people speed up beside you. They don't want to let you in. Oh, I'll show you. You're trying to keep me. Not me. I'm just, it's a parable. And it comes back to this fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long on the land which the Lord thy God give thee. The word honor there is kabod, which is Hebrew. And I'm sorry, Takai, I pronounced your name Taki, but it's Takai. But I'm trying to think Greek and Hebrew and where, how do I get this out of this? But it means to give weight or to make heavy or to honor. In fact, it's the same word when the Bible says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. It, and I've preached on that before because some people think that God made Pharaoh do it. It doesn't mean that at all. It says basically God honored Pharaoh's heart. In other words, he said to Pharaoh, I'll let you make the final decision. I have put the squeeze on you. But I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to honor your heart. You know what? When God sometimes lets us do things, He is honoring our choice. When you say, well, I don't want it, I don't like this, I don't want it, I don't feel like, God says, I'll honor your heart. That's the same word, honor thy father and mother. Doesn't mean harden your father and mother. It means to give weight to it. What are you saying? And he went down with them and came to, you say, well, was the Lord, did the Lord honor? Jesus honored his own parents. Remember when he said, I must be about my father's business. And then the Bible says in Luke that he was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Paul told Ephesus, the church of In Ephesus, in Ephesians, children, obey your parents. And then it uses the phrase, in the Lord. For that is right. Meaning that, obviously, if your parent is telling you to do something illegal or immoral, you don't have to obey that, but obey them in the Lord. And you say, well, what if your parents are wrong or or nuts? Well, Jesus dealt with parents that were a little nuts. Or at least a mother. And his brothers, remember? He started his ministry. And what happened? They came to him and they stood outside the house one day. Because they said, this guy's going crazy in there. Y'all remember the story? And his mother and brothers and 
Call him outside, basically to tell him, Jesus, tone it down. You're getting a little weird here. And what did Jesus, what was his response? Y'all remember? Behold my family, they that do my will, my mother's, father's, sister's, brothers. Remember? He basically, he didn't disrespect him. He didn't say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But he basically said, I'm on a mission now. He was, of course, over 30 years old. He was five, he had found his purpose. He was doing what he knew to be right. Now, he did it respectfully. In fact, I, I would argue with you that, in fact, how show how much respect he had when his dying breaths, when he was on the cross, he said to John, John, behold your mother. That lady, my mother is now your mother. Mom, behold your son. He didn't lose respect for her. In fact, she was in the upper room and God was one of the first 120 that got the Holy Ghost. What was amazing was John embraced her as his own mother and put her in his home and kept her from then on. So when Paul says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, after he said, obey them in the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth, and fathers provoke, notice what he immediately goes into, and fathers don't provoke your children with wrath. My children were learned that from a long time ago, they still use it on me every once in a while. Don't provoke me. But it said, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What do you mean in the nurture? What does that mean to nurture someone as the Lord? What does it mean to admonish them of the Lord? Well, Paul earlier in this same book said, for this reason, if you read it in the Amplified Classic, seeing that the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that the Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. What was he saying is, the Lord is the ultimate father. All fatherhood takes its cue from him. But our role as a earthly father is to be like Jesus to our children. Is to let them see what it is like to have a heavenly father. What are you saying? 
may grant you out of the rich treasure of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself and dwelling in your innermost being and personality. You see, our job is to show them what God is like. How would God love them? How would God correct them? How would God be an example for them? How would God be a guardian of them? How would God be a provider for them? How would God be an intercessor for them? Are you praying for, are you? Honor your father and mother. Honor your heavenly father. Honor your father and mother. Being the kind of father that your heavenly father would want you to be an example. If God forgives, guess what earthly dads have got to do? If God brings it up every day to you, I guess it's your right to bring it up every day to them. But if God puts it in the sea never to be remembered again, be careful when you bring up Amarilla. It means just bringing up the same old thing. My poor daughter, I, I, she, I had a pencil I bought in Germany. She took it to school, high school. I said, don't take my pencil. It was a special need. And before the Lord, the day was out, she lost it. What'd you say? I gave it to a friend. Oh, she gave it to a friend. She was like Jesus. A special little mechanical pencil. I've never seen one like it again. Every once in a while, I'll just ask her, have you seen my blue pencil? She needs to remember what she did. Huh? Be careful. Am I being like Christ? Oh, Lord, forgive me. Honor, forgive me, Sheena. Honor thy father and mother. What are you saying, Pastor? Hard commandment yes. to be like Jesus. Huh? Amen. Oh, I know. And, and there's some boundaries that you've got to have on your authority. And I know my... Three of them I put down here, and, and you could think of some others, but wisdom and sufficiency and love. You need to have those boundaries on your authority. Wisdom, the first one's pretty obvious. You need to, the Bible is very clear. It says what? In, Pro, in, in uh, Corinthians, and it also says it in Proverbs, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. It didn't say train up your children in the way that they should go. 
Because you've got to have enough sense to know that every child is different. Every child is different. When it says train up a child in the way he's, it's singular. And even football teams, basketball teams, tennis players, golfers know that it's wisdom. You have to use wisdom to have a scouting report or what they call a yardage book for golf. Out in the West, they name bulls, for those of you who are bull riders. And I know that sounds funny for us, but those cowboys know, oh, I drew Steamboat. Well, he always turns his head down to the left and kicks his flank out. Huh? So I know what to expect when I get on the bull. Football teams, well, they've got, man, they've got a, a great running back or they've got a great wide in, tight in, wide out, left flank, right hash mark, nickelback quarterback, 10 cents left over. Half a dollar, all for Lone Oak, stand up and holler. <laughs> they have a scouting report. We're going to play zone, man, three and one and two, house box, two, let the side slipe of. <laughs> because we've got a guard, number 17. And then he comes out with a different jersey and everybody's confused. <laughs> so if teams know that you've got to have enough sense to know how to deal with each individual child and each, how much wisdom, oh, you know what? And I, I wrote here on this, this slide, there was a time when in Hosea when God said Israel is a wild donkey. And, and he said, they are, they, you can't train them, you can't bridle them. And then in Isaiah, he said, they're a bruised reed and a smoking flax. And I'm going to be very gentle with them and I'm going to be very careful. Same people same situation but there are times when you've got to learn as a parent use wisdom with your authority there's a time to correct and not to correct and when to be hard and when to be loving and when to be kind and when to be supportive and you won't always get it right but that's why you have a heavenly father yeah. Yeah. to say Lord help me should you just let them do their own thing no should you let them have their own way? No. Should you just let them do what? No. But you have to have wisdom. And I understand not only wisdom tempers authority, but you have a sense of not just wisdom, but sufficiency. And I know this is a hard one, and I just put three, but I have seen parents that try to use their children to live vicariously through their children. 
They didn't get to be cheerleaders, so they want their daughters to be cheerleaders. And they didn't get to be the most popular, so they want their kids to be the most popular. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, I missed out on it, so I want my children to have it. And I'm going to push and push and push my children. And when a parent drives their children to achieve, to make their dreams and hope come to pass, their authority is compromised. That's why Paul said in Corinthians, he said, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. What are you saying when you are saying, I want my children to do it. I want my children. I want my children. It's not wrong to want them to be successful, but you've got to temper it. Make sure they know where their sufficiency comes from. It's not going to come from the sports arena. It's not going to come from anywhere else. The intellect or the scholarship where their sufficiency comes from is an old-fashioned altar when they are raising their hands and getting receiving the Holy Ghost that's where your sufficiency I understand I, I want mine to be the best and wonderful and I encourage them to study and made time for them to study but they heard me say it and I meant it I don't care if they greet somebody at Walmart, if they are knowing how to love God and worship God. Not that that's the lowest job, but I'm telling you that and their relationship with God is eternal. No matter what they have here, if they don't have something there, when life is over, they didn't honor God. Honor your father and mother. And so your authority gets compromised if you're trying to push them and you're pushing them away from God. So that's why that's so important. Another, the last and I, in that very sense, is balancing authority with love. And I know that seems pretty straightforward. But not manipulation. But genuine love, you know, I remember my grandfather, he used to watch Red Fox, and he was always having a heart attack. Y'all don't remember that, it's okay. He was always using guilt and manipulation, you know. Oh, 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 I can't get my kid to obey me. Oh. I think I feel the big one coming on. (laughs) Jesus did not use manipulation even with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He knew what he could have said to make them jump through the hoop and follow him. But it's amazing. He gave them a choice. He hardened their heart, if you will. He honored their choice. He would do things like call them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Read it. 
10 verses, 11 verses in Matthew, he goes from calling them serpents and vipers. They're, they're going to not hardly escape a generation of hell. You kill prophets, you stone. And then you know what he says? How often I wanted to gather you like a mother hen. I've tried to love you and you wouldn't come. Yes. And he said, you're gonna one day say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. How can you, you know, I, 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 and I, I, that's, I've tried not to manipulate, I try, why? Because I want to love like God loves. God don't, won't manipulate you here, folks. I know we have a great service, great music. We can get going and we can, you know, in the midst of the moment, we can say you're going to hell and we're going to manipulate your emotions and you're going to come. You better run right down to this altar. And then, then it doesn't translate into a genuine heartfelt conversion. And we've seen folks go through that. And I'm not against as Jude said, snatching them from the gates of hell. But God won't manipulate you. He's not going to hold a gun to your head. He's not going to demand. He's going to leave and stand at the door. That's how much God loves. That's how much God... I, I, the day I feel like I have to manipulate my children or, or, or somehow... It's the day that things are off track because that's not what God does. Right. Honor your father and mother. What that means is love like he loved. Would you stand? I, I know this is not a shouting service today because it's down to what we struggle with. There are four young people. Sister Carol, you can take them back. Brother Bob, anybody wants to go back and show them where whoever's here wants to go back and help show these young people they're going to get changed. And I know we give an altar call and we invite and we encourage and we, we try to tell folks you need to pray, you need to come to prayer, you need to be in the altar, you need to raise your hands, you need to worship. But I'm here to tell you, you have to make a decision. That's how loving God is. And I'm sorry if you weren't raised with a loving father or mother, earthly, but you can have a heavenly father today. You can have a heavenly source that will in fact be there whenever you decide, I wanna serve you, Lord. He is ready with his arms wide open. If you want to pray, if you want to repent, if you want to be healed and changed, and matter of fact, if he demands this of us, how much more is he like this to us? What a privilege to know that's our heavenly father, amen? So when you've fallen short, all you have to do is say, Lord, I wanna enter into your rest.
devil's trying to beat me up on what I should have done and could have done. I just need your blood to wash me. So I'm here not to demand you come, not to force you to come, but I'm here to say the altar is open. If you want the Holy Ghost, if you want prayer, if you want to just reach out and touch him, it's open and it's for you today. Hallelujah.